Instead of spending billions on the war, I can use that money so I can feed the poor. Cause I know some so poor. When it rains, that's when they shower, scream and fight the power. That's when the vulture devours. If I was president, I get elected on Friday, assassinated on Saturday, buried on Sunday. They go back to work on Monday. If I was president, if I was president, if I was president, All right, y'all, what is going on? This is your man, L. Jamal, coming through with another edition of Never Out of Bounds. Of course, this is the place where you can say what you want as long as you got the facts. This evening, tonight, I'm going to get into uh, a few different things here, but we're going to go a little bit in depth. For one, I wanted to get into the situation and an update of what's going on in Haiti. Uh, well, the drama that's going on there, the protests, we're going to talk about a little bit about the assassination. We're going to get into some history about the nation as well. I also have an apology to issue out, and I'll be uh, gearing up for that in just a second after that. And then I want to talk about um, the baby and, you know, Lil Nas X and these uh, fabricated divisions that, you know, mainstream keeps pushing on us and why they're a trap. And um, also, we're going to get into some sports. So we're going to get into the NFL. We have some news to talk about there. Aaron Rodgers. We have some injury reports. We have some news going down with the Giants. Also, we're going to talk about the Hall of Fame game, preseason game as well, and also the Hall of Fame inductees on top of that. And then we're going to wrap everything up with some basketball and uh, pretty much the Russell Westbrook trade, also some NBA, my, uh, well, my review of the NBA draft. And uh, again, just kind of breaking down what I'm going to be getting into in the near future. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into it with the update. Again, like I said, with Haiti. Now, so far, Haitian authorities have arrested 40 suspects in connection with the assassination of President uh, Hovenel Moise. Uh, the case could actually go unsolved because of their lack of a real investigational unit and a pro well. Let's get let's get into the quote, and this is a quote coming from the the office, the nation's office of citizen protection. It went on to say, this is like I said, a quote coming from the agency, the judicial system is held hostage by certain sectors and is weakened by a disciplinary body that protects dishonest and corrupt judges, but but prosecutes those who are honest. So that pretty much sums up what the situation is going, at least going on, at least in a judicial standpoint. Now, let's talk about, um, oh. And one more fact here. The agency also notes that 32 assassinations have been carried out since 1991 and have yet to be solved. They have not been solved. Now, before we get into the history real quick, we want to bring up everything to date on, you know, the assassination of Moise and who he was and kind of what led to this. Well, of course, uh, Moise was elected in 2017 and he pretty much uh, was one of the few presidents that will, you know, kind of, you know, analyze that was actually elected in this country's history. They've had a history of, you know, not not having elections for a long time. We'll get into why. 
and uh, he served like I said up until this year and uh, again there was some controversy about his uh, tenure and mostly due to raising taxes and the misuse of loans from Colombia as well and he raised taxes again on you know common goods such as gasoline kerosene uh, other domestic goods and you know also nothing was changing about the poverty and this has been a decades long problem despite them no longer being in debt anymore also uh, there was a point in time where actually uh, this is what kind of got him kind of was a straw that broke the camel's back uh, earlier this year he was supposed to well actually I believe it was if he was 26 yeah 2021 would have been the year actually 2020 uh, would have been the year he would have supposed he was supposed to step aside actually this year excuse me so earlier this year he was supposed to step aside and you know kind of allow another election to take place because according to the Haitian constitution uh, they well any elected official well the president is given a five-year term uh, but again Moise put the country in a bind by not wanting to do that and again it exacerbated into more protests that have been going on pretty much almost uh since his presidency uh had well well since he's been in office excuse me and again due to all these different problems again uh the country also had an issue with how he handled the covid problem as well and again poorly in the conditions you know again exacerbated by natural disasters that we'll get into in just a second and there were just multiple calls for him to be removed from office and this is all leading up to his assassination now again it's i mean i don't want to say it's just another typical day in how they do things but let's take a look at the history now before we get to this point in 2021 uh, let's take it all the way back to right before 1700 uh, when France would take over the island of what would now become Haiti, Haiti, and um, they would pretty much be in ownership of this island until 1804, of course, the Haitian Revolution. At this time, bla uh, free blacks and slaves outnumbered whites 700,000 to 25,000. Uh, now, Haiti was one of the most vicious destinations for slaves, with one third of newly arrived slaves dying within a few years usually from typhoid fever or smallpox, also just the harsh conditions as well. Uh, there were also low birth rates, and the French would also start the deforestation of the land as well. Oh, another thing to mention here is that abortion rates were very high as well because mothers weren't, as a form of resistance, were not trying to give birth uh, to children in a system of slavery. Now, free blacks and Creoles, uh, now these usually constitute, well, this always constituted by law of a white father, and of course, uh, black mothers usually, well, mostly slaves. Uh, black men were not permitted to marry white women at the time. I don't think they cared, or that was the big point, but again, that's how they established a law, the ruling class. That's kind of what they do. And uh, now the mixed children, uh, they were allowed to hold military positions as well as free blacks. However, mixed children were also given the uh, well, given the privilege to attend school in France. However, free blacks were able to hold their own land holdings and also hold slaves as well. And I'll get into an interesting fact about the revolution in just a second referring to slaves. Now, 
there was actually excuse me let's take this back now again like i said haiti was one of the most notorious slave colonies in the western hemisphere uh even in a lot of cases more brutal than the united states that's what they're saying in a lot of in a lot of uh in a lot of sources now uh, with that being said many of these uh many of these slaves would break off from the plantation and they would f seek refuge in the mountains of haiti and they would form their own communities and these are called maroon societies and they pretty much their descendants still exist today matter of fact there's maroon societies societies in america as well so again when you start to hear certain narratives as though uh, we were already here or we somehow a native to this land as well well there's a lot of things that go against that there's maroon societies there's evidence of freed blacks there's evidence of upward mobility already but that's already after at some point in time some type of transport to this place that's where all the the evidence leads to i know what a lot of the newfangled uh theories might want to say but it's not based on any fact okay um now uh let's get more to these groups these maroon societies a leader of one of these groups named francois mackandar will lead a rebellion rebellion in the 1750s now again this was unsuccessful but it kind of put the put the gears into motion into what would happen in 1791 and this was the major revolution and this was led by toussaint Le overture a slave now, France would uh, eventually try to patch things up by ending slavery. Now, this also, you know, was a big thing here as well with the free blacks and the Creole population. Now, again, the slaves have formed their own armies and they formed their own groups to be able to fight. So, so had the free blacks and the Creoles. They had made their own allegiances. They weren't all together at first. Because, again, the free blacks and the Creoles had had some upward mobility, and part of that was due to, of course, having land and being able to hold slaves. They weren't so keen on ending slavery. But what they realized was that, well, the slaves had a little bit more heart, and they had the extra numbers that it took to be able to beat this menace. And also, you know, it was a bad time for the French to invade because of uh, different diseases that they would end up catching once they got here so it all uh and again you put in you put in a little bit of voodoo in there hey you who knows that's what they saying i'm gonna go along with it because they left <laughs> and they you know they left so we're gonna leave it at that the last battle took place at verite in 1803 and uh this is when napoleon's army would be defeated finally in in at least haiti and again this was set the stage for france Again, and Napoleon as well, kind of their descent uh, at this point. A few years later, I think maybe even around that same time, they would end up selling Louisiana as well. Now, the first empire of Haiti was established by Jean Jacques Dessalines, and uh, this was established, like I said, in September 1804. He would then right away be assassinated by two members of his administration, Alexandre. Petion and Henri Christophe. Now, assassinations and coup d'etats are going to be the theme of the day. It's just the way, again, that's the way things happened here. Now, at this point, the they called it Hispaniola, actually Santo Domingue, San Domingue, 
uh, for f the Ming, uh, for the French, uh, it would eventually be split in half. Of course, the Spanish would call their side Hispaniola Dominican Republic eventually. But again, uh, at this time, there was one whole uh, island nation. And again, they were Saint Domingue, and uh, eventually they would be split. Like I said, Petion would take over the south and uh, Christophe would take over the north side of the country and again they would be split and they would not reunite again until about 1850, 1850s, something like that, I believe around the 1850s. Now again, they would also get into some battles with the Dominican Republic because again, they would be trying, well at least the Dominican Republic would be trying to unify itself and become its own independent nation and eventually would. Now, Haiti would do its best to modernize its economy in the late 1880s, uh, but political unrest would be, lead to political military coups in 1867, 1912, and also 1914. Like I said, this is just what happens. Um, that's just the course of their history, unfortunately. During the early 1900s, Germany and America, they kind of had a beef with each other trying to you know, influence Haiti. Um, again, the U.S. would even send some troops here as well to kind of intervene in the election of one of their presidents. They ended up electing pro-U.S. President Philippe Soudre Dartinguenway. Now, if I pronounced that, pronounced that wrong, forgive me, I'm pretty sure I did. Uh, but again, his rule was controversial because he would end up giving uh, ownership rights to foreign interests. And again, this would upset the um the local population and the you know the you know the black and also the creoles as well all the people there and also and also another thing here is you know colorism was to an extreme out here as well one would dream one would dream would be pro creole and pro the mixed or the lighter people and then you had another regime that was pro more black none of them really agreed with each other and you would see during their both um more you would see more so in uh, the attempts of the, the Creoles to gain more political c control, but in more cases we'll see uh, some more examples where where it was you know a, a black leader, uh, they would be a lot more militaristic and especially antagonistic towards the Creoles, and uh, we'll see like I said accounts of that in just a second. Now, like I said, the U.S. would be uh, occupying Haiti up until 1934, and it was estimated that up to 3,250 people would die during periods of civil unrest, including the execution of a rebel leader, Charlemagne Parate, uh, who would become a national martyr because of the way that they did him and how they presented him to the media. They equated him to uh, a pretty much a crucifixion. Uh, so again, there was a big national stir behind that. Um, again, amongst the deeper uh, mountain communities again those descendants of the maroon societies that fought against the slave masters back then again they were brought here from a different place and they did not want to be on the plantation so they formed these their own communities and they continued to fight against what they thought were enemies up until again they started having these massive you know you know encounters with the u.s military and they just weren't necessarily equipped in these situations now, after the departure of the U.S., Haiti would be would come into more contact with conflict. Excuse me, with the Dominican Republic, 
and this resulted in the Parsley Massacre, where 20,000 20, to 30,000 uh, Haitians living in the Dominican Republic would be beaten to death and driven to the ocean, where they would be drowned or eaten by sharks or attacked by sharks. This is, this is the real deal. And uh, two military crews, one in 1946 that pushed out L.A. Lescott, and uh, there was another one uh, conducted in 1950 by Paul Maglaor. Again, these are just setbacks in terms of their political infrastructure, in terms of what they can do, in terms of the managing budget or figuring out what they need to, to develop. And um, again, it was a miracle that they were able to pay off all their debt uh, by 1941, it took them a while because, again, oh, let's take it back a little bit. Again, uh, France would try to come back to Haiti at some point in the 1800s, but uh, Haiti was able to ne negotiate a deal in which they would have to pay France up to one million, hundred million uh, francs. I believe that's up to a million dollar, a billion dollars to the, in today's value. I could be wrong. Don't hold me to that. But France, I mean, sorry, Haiti was responsible for paying that back and other loans it took out from Germany and also the U.S. as well. So it was paying these debts up until 1941. So it's a miracle that, that they were able to do that uh, with all this with stuff going on. Now, in 1956, uh, Maglior himself was forced to resign and was replaced by uh, Dr. Francois Duvalier, who was elected in 1957? Again, he would push pro-black. Sorry, he would push pro-black interests, but then it would be at the expense of the other people in the country, the Creoles, and maybe and also uh, the people of foreign descent in these countries. He would go on rampages with his own, basically his own militarized police force, and kind of um, you know attack these people, especially when they were protests. Now, for example, there was a protest in the in the town of. Uh, Jeremy, and this was pr pretty much a Creole community, and he pretty much sent his police force there, and they beat up hundreds of people there, and uh, actually publicly executed them, to be more precise. So you had these situations here where they just did not get along, and um, again, the colonial powers played a lot to do with that, but also again, you know, they tr when given the chance to operate on their own it's obvious that they came about it they would go after each other too and that didn't solve anything for the nation so again since he was strongly opposed to communism and this was a big thing at the time for the western world he received a lot of funding and a lot of support from the u.s so again his reign of terror pretty much for others uh was allowed to continue i mean others would call it that others would say hey you know things happen for us and Again, I have to. I'm gonna have another uh, segment when I talk about, you know, how we as a we'll get to it in a second. But we got we got a lot more to talk about with Haiti. So, anyways, now Duvalier would pass away in 1971, and his son Jean Claude would take over. Now, like father, like son, brutal executions would continue, albeit they would calm down and other things would kind of stop, you know, that was so vicious like his dad would do, but most of, most of the public ex executions did kind of end at this point. But uh, you would have an uptick in, in the economy due to terrorism at the time. However, you know, the brutal father of son, the brutal, brutal, sorry, brutal father of son regime would end up killing 40 to 60,000 Haitians through execution. Now, these massive protests and just demonstrations will pretty much see the son, Jean-Claude, escape from 19, sorry, escape 
to France in 1986 and he did not come back until about 2014 and he would died about a year later actually I think he came back in 2013 and died a year later now the late 1980s would see more of the well, would see failed and faked elections now in 1987 elections were canceled after voters were shot at by uh, by capital by uh, sorry by the police for by sorry they were shot at by a private pretty much a police gang again um, these were still the soldiers that were pretty much hired under Duvalier's family they were known as the boogeymen uh, in the in the country in Haiti they were known as the boogeymen they would carry out these assassinations they would carry out these intimidation tactics and that's pretty much what they did here so they ended up shooting at voter, voters killing some and the 1987 elections were canceled Now they were set to have some in 1988 only to have four percent of voters actually showing up. Leslie Manigo would be elected, but he would be overthrown in June of that same year. Of course, a military coup. Now, another military coup d'état would occur in September, leading to a military regime led by proper Avril until 1990. Now, this would be the first election in 19, now 1990. Excuse me, would be the first election that they would have in many years, and it was held in December with John Bertrand Aristide winning the popular vote. Again, this was seen by, this was preceded by another or followed by another military coup, this this time led by Raul Cedras. And it was led in 1991 and it, and it kicked Aristide out of office. He had to go into hiding. Now, at this point in time, the U.S. would come back in, involve itself in Haitian affairs again, this time sending 20,000 troops on a peace mission, quote-unquote, to reappoint Aristide, who would then finish his term, his term, excuse me, albeit having to pass more pro-free market legislation. So again, open it up to foreign interests. Aristide would lose the presidency in 1995, but regain it in 2000 amongst controversy, leading to uh, him basically being forced into exile in 2004. Now, again, we have more drama here. Like I said, general election will be postponed for a while due to, you know, numerous, you know, natural disasters. Let's talk about these natural disasters real quick. Back in 1994, you had Hurricane uh, Gordon that ended up killing a couple thousand people, sending mass flooding to the nation. And then also we go to the 2000s, we have the tropical storm, tropical storm Gian in 2004 that would kill 3,600 people. And then in 2008, you had a string of tropical storms and, and hurricanes. You had Hannah, Hannah and Ike. You had uh, tropical storm Faye and Hurricane Gustav. They were killed uh, only 300 people. That's still a lot in a way, but then they would also leave 800,000 people in need of humanitarian assistance. This was in 2008, and you also had the big one in 2010, the big earthquake in 927, that would leave 200 to 220,000 to 300,000 people dead and 1.6 million people homeless. Also, there was a massive cholera outbreak due to the the blue. Who? What was this? Oh, I want to say it was NATO, some type of uh, outbreak in one of their rivers, their only river in the country. Now, 10 million would become sick, hundreds would die. And it's just been an awful, you know, situation for these guys. But again, you had a government that's got really ruthless and there were massive executions. There was some corruption here. 
and because they could not get their stuff together the outside powers sometimes it was Germany but mostly it was the US would come in and intervene and put something up and pretty much kind of attempt to make them a satellite nation but because of their their you know lack of consistency with a leader every two or three years somebody's getting ousted somebody's getting murdered you can't even you can't even infiltrate them like that you can't even make them a satellite nation like that so they just kind of out there on their own and it's a little bit sad because i mean they could be an independent nation taking care of themselves like what we're seeing developing in africa there's many nations that are becoming prosperous and you know world leaders in many different ways but there's not enough consistency here for one in the leadership and because there's no leadership there's no way to figure out what the infrastructure is going to be what you're going to be taxing for what you're going to be developing uh you know what what uh industry do they have there that, that they can that they can market to the rest of the world um i i i highly doubt that people have access to the internet in many different places i i mean i highly suspect that they would um i know for a fact that they would um and it's not to sound dismissive or putting them down, but again, when you have consistent military regimes and takeovers and, you know, people being ousted, there's corruption there. Um, there's obvious corruption that was found out with this current, uh, fortunately, with Moise. He was uh, misusing uh, government funds, government loans for his own means. And uh, it's, you know, it's a shame. And again, that's what, you know, and again, if we look at who's involved, you had uh, eight up to 18 Venezuelan soldiers that were trained by the U.S. You had uh, a few different, you know, Dominican nationals. And of course, you had, you know, whoever was involved that might be against him. And there was a couple of people that were involved in the Justice Department there in Haiti, also a senator as well. So it goes, it, you know. It goes to high places. I mean, of course, it's, it's a presidential assassination, but I mean, that's what the world sees. That's what, you know, Haiti shows the world, unfortunately. So can they can they change things? Yeah, by letting the president do his thing and fit. And then if it's not a good situation then voting for the next guy and allowing those uh, at least allowing allowing some type of infrastructure to take place and some type of stability to take place. Um, you can't go about killing everybody. You can't go about killing people who don't get, just like with Cuba, you can't, because what happened, um, I did not mention this uh, after the Duvalier uh, son, father, son, you know, rulership. There was also, due to, due to the massive executions and also pretty much people leaving the nation, it was a massive brain drain that the country hasn't recovered from. So, what do you do? There's also a situation in the schools, not the biggest of issues, but now the children there in the schools speak a um, speak a Creole type of dialect that the school systems don't teach. They just teach most. They just teach uh, strictly French, and there's a you know odds in terms of they're at odds in terms of the language. There's language barriers in the schools. So it's unfortunate all the way around. Can it be changed? They gonna have to. I don't know how a country like that will go about it, to be honest with you. But it's just an unfortunate situation all in all and 
it goes back a long time too. So there's Haiti. That's what's going on right now. It's not so good. All right, y'all, I'm going to take a quick break. And when I come back, like I said, I have an apology to make. And then we're also going to be talking about these divisions that they keep wanting us black folks to have. So let's get into it. I'll take a quick break. I'll see y'all in a bit. talk uh let's talk about what else is going on uh amongst us black folk now rapper the baby is facing his uh backlash for his comments about the homosexual community uh made at a recent concert now he's what you would call being canceled at the moment he's getting kicked off of you know you know lineups and not being out uh, you know he's being you know not allowed to perform at certain shows now and Again, this is fallout for his comments. Like I said at his con- uh, concert about a couple weeks ago, maybe a week or so, uh, at this point, and uh, he just basically kind of went in and um, all types of references to homosexual sex, which I thought was weird. And uh, apparently, this is in response to something maybe rapper Lil Nas X said to him. Now, of course, Lil Nas X is openly homosexual, which. That's the way of the world. That's how people want to be. I'm not here to just uh, say that that's right or wrong. That's not for me to really get into. Uh, because you know why? I don't want people to judge me and to you know pick at how I live. I think that's very annoying. So why would I do that to others? And that's just me personally. So I don't really have a problem with his you know lifestyle. Uh, do I think there's some extremes in how he delivers his music or his message? Sure, but same thing with the baby. I mean, I think there's a, a glorification of violence, particularly amongst or to, held towards black men and animosity that he has towards other black men, uh, homosexual or uh, straight for that matter. So I think uh, there's some issues that we are not addressing here. Now, I think, you know, for a lot of people, for a lot of people, this struck a nerve. On both sides, because of course you have the you know the community that Lil Nas X represents, LG. Well, we call them alphabet people, and uh, you know of course uh, the baby and the straight um, black community. And uh, the the issue that we're seeing here is again, you know, more attempts to divide and eventually conquer our community here. Now again. You know, recently you have ba- rappers like T.I. and, again, the baby talk about, uh, or even Lil Boosie talk about how, you know, this is somehow straight shaming or straight bullying and uh, bullying straight people. And, you know, for what it's worth, if they feel that way, I'm pretty sure the homosexual community, particularly black homosexual community or 
you know, LGB, you know, bicep, you know, all that stuff. They've probably felt, you know, bullied at some point in time by straight people as well. So it goes vice versa. And, you know, and, you know, and this is the thing. And there's this other, you know, thing that I'm hearing as particularly with, you know, this side or people who take up with the baby is that there's this um, this plot or this mission to convert everybody to homosexuality and a whole bunch of these liberal, you know, ways of thinking in life. When in reality, uh, these ways of life, particularly we're talking homosexuality, even transgenderism has existed for centuries in many different way in many different forms around the world. So this is not a plot to do anything new. This is nothing new under the sun. There's no there's no there's no new plot to get you to, to suddenly jump on board. Uh this has already been around. Now are these people more vocal? Are they more visible to society? Yes. Is there a problem with that? No. Again, there's no there's no point in us denying somebody's existence when we fought for so many decades and years to fight for our own. I, I'm not for holding people back. There's this there's this uh, notion in America amongst the non-whites where as soon as they are in a position where they're not being bothered or harassed, let's harass others to prove that we're we're not you know that same people anymore. Okay, and as soon as a white comedian says anything about black people, you're going to be up in arms. You're going to be offended. You're going to want to cancel them. And I think it's silly. I think there's a double standard here. Now, mind you, again, I think uh, for what it's worth, I don't really watch Lil Nas X. I'm not really, I've liked one song by him, and that was The Old Town Road. Particularly, I liked the remix with Billy Ray Cyrus. I liked his verse. I thought that shit was, the, the collaboration was fire. I thought it was smart. Uh, but I, outside of that, I, I really hadn't gotten into him. I already kind of got those vibes from him. I felt like he was already uh, going to have this big old switch as soon as he got big and be all open and be all weird with it. And I wasn't wrong with that. And um, I don't need to look at any of his videos to understand. I see the little snippets of what I can through other, you know, people, you know, getting after it and all that. Um and again, that's, you know, again, and what's funny is the same people, the same ruling entity that run the music industry, you know, they pay the baby and Lil Nas. So again, it's just a way to divide us. And again, you know, nothing about the baby's message is that that much better either. So we're stuck in this position where we don't want to represent this. And this is but this sin is somehow OK. Um Again, biologically, yes, two men can have a baby, two women can't do it. Uh, but morally, I again, if it's not sodomy being involved, if there's no uh, pedophilia being involved with it, I can't, I don't feel comfortable getting into that. It's none of my business. My, my best advice to all straight people will be if you're not into it, if you're not a real fan of it or support it, don't involve yourself with it. Don't have them catching you on the low into some shit. Because that's what ends up happening with the, the biggest gay bash. That's just how it ends up being. Just being honest. So just just be real with yourself and and do and do you. Um, I think as a as a heterosexual male, you don't need to put yourself out there and go out and, and attack anybody. You should feel comfortable in who you are to the point where, yes, those people exist. 
but I did, that doesn't bother me. The fact that you're on stage, I'm going to be honest with you. The fact that you're on stage and you're walking in, there's thousands of people there, me, a thousand people around the world, millions of people around the world, you know, probably watching it, streaming it. Women looking at you, women desire you as the baby. We're in a, we're in a situation now where dark skinned men are attractive and, and all this. And you over here thinking about what niggas is doing in cars. To me, that's suspect. I'm not concerned. Again, I don't even, I don't even work in that type of environment. I have a regular job and I do this podcast. But I don't even be at my job thinking about heterosexual sex because it's just not the time or the place. It's just, come on, I'm not even thinking about that. I Now, when I get home and I'm, you know, talking to somebody who gets me going, I'm saying, yeah, she's hot. Yeah, oh, man. I might think about it then and that might come into to play. Hell yeah, that's normal, right? But if I'm just at my job and I'm just, that's, who is thinking about those things? And they say, oh, yeah, niggas, in the, you ain't in your car sucking dick. Are you? That's a very random, you know, thought to come up in your head, dog. That, to me, that's that subconscious shit. Him and Bootsy got some unconscious shit. Bootsy been mad and been in a, in a real tissy fit about it since Mike Tyson called him out on it. Let's keep it real. I'm a real one. I peeped it all right there. Thank you, Mike Tyson, for calling him out on that shit. It's, it's, and then it's like... I, and it's like certain, and it's like they pick and choose even amongst the straight community for some reason. They want to pick and choose who cool with it, who they, who they cool with, who's along those lines and who not. Like, cause we already know Young Thug and Lil Uzi and all them boys is is weird. So we not gonna judge them. We ain't got nothing with Ty, we ain't got nothing wrong with Tyler Creator, but all oh, Lil Nas, that's the line. Come on, stop. If 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 it was if it was a female like Cardi B or Megan Thee Stallion doing it, you be all, oh yeah, I think that you got you all in your cardinal urges. He's not for y'all. Don't even worry about that. He ain't making music for you. So why are you even tripping? Same thing with the baby. I don't listen to all that. I ain't trying to beef with other black. I ain't trying to shoot at other black. I mean, I ain't trying to abuse other black women. I don't be trying to go through black women or women like that and use them like that and be, I ain't into all that shit he be talking about. Now, I'm trying to build a community. These motherfuckers trying to be, you gay, you, I'm straight. We can't even do business. We can't even live amongst, you weird. Shoot, it's the straight, it's the straight people that be coming off. That be, they be the main ones that be child predators. Look at Eddie Long, a preacher. Many years, supposed to be married, all type of shit. Ain't a little boy. That's nasty. Shit, R. Kelly too. Now, fuck with that shit. Ain't got this new singer, Forty Two Doug, licking on his son. That's weird, dude. And that's not to make a. That's again, that's weird, fam. That all need to be questioned. Is little wrong? Is little Nas X going too far sometimes? Yeah, but it ain't my. It ain't something I gotta watch. Oh, you ain't gotta let your kids watch it. That's he's making that music for that community. Why are you tripping? Don't be involved. You not involved in it, right? So why are you worried? But you let your girl, you let your daughters watch Cardi B. I don't know where you want to draw these lines. I'd stop it. Sounds like a lot of arbitrary bullshit.
Okay? That's what it sounds like to me. Then all this beefing all over the, over time. There's always some division, always some something to keep us not working together. All the way back when we first started civilizations. The the groups of the herders would beef with the farmers. Why? Because their way of life was different. They wanted to use the land in a different way. When they could have just shared the shit. You had the hunter gatherer, he wasn't prepared for none of this. He wanted to come into the beef, but he was he was X'd out. Because he didn't have the skills to keep his line going. But then you have these civilizations, they develop, they expand, they come into contact with each other. Oh man, you're a different color than me. I have to conquer you. You have to be my slave. You have to you have to bow down to me. You you pray to God differently. That's a sin, according to my book. Fuck all that. That's why we are in the situation we are in now. We have the, a unique opportunity in this country to be amongst so many different races, so many different groups of people that you have no choice either but to make it work or it all falls apart. And we become an example of the corruption and the dissent and the division in which these power brokers, which are the corporations, truly want. All they're doing, in reality, and all they're doing is cashing in on, you know, gay people. They're just, they're just advertising to them. They're just saying that you guys is this. Come buy our products too. That's that's all that it is. Again, in terms of laws and all that, do I feel like there should be laws directly or legislature directly, you know, made for groups of people? No, because they should, because nobody's civil rights should be violated in the first fucking place. And that's why you have those initiatives. That's why you have those legislations. And that goes for my right wing people. That's just the way that it is. We want to act like nobody's being discriminated against when they are. We want to act like when nobody's rights are being infringed upon when they actually are. And we are okay with certain people having their rights infringed upon. But don't come near our rights. That's not how you that's not how this society can be. Nobody if you're not free if somebody else is being, you know, put down and being restricted in certain ways eventually they'll be coming to restrict you that's always how it's been here so i'm not for restricting anybody's way of life i think there's parameters in which again do i think it needs to be all exposed to children no okay maybe you save it to high school college years i'm perfectly fine with that there needs to be some type of knowledge about what's going on in the world, though. You don't keep people in the dark because that breeds ignorance. And with with ignorance, you get the hostility that you do not need. Again, he made uh, in the baby made comments toward um, sexually transmitted di- uh, diseases, HIV to be one of them. Again, that's his belief. But my thing is, look at, you know, in reality, this is the, this is. You know, the true face of it. Everybody can get it. Anybody can get it, sir. It's not just a gay thing. Ask Easy e Ask Magic Johnson. Uh, there's a notable race car driver. I can't remember his uh, name, his first name, but his last name was Richmond. Again, he was he was suffering from it in the late early 90s, uh, late 80s. Didn't want to talk because, again, that's where it was. Everybody would assume he would be homo. And he wasn't. Okay. This goes all, it's, it, 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 it's not, again, it, it's not just a, it, anyone can catch it, but through any type of, you know, unprotected sex, 
you know, extreme, uh, you know, extreme drug use, particular, you know, with syringes, it, it's it's a deadly thing, and uh, I, I'm not casting judgment. Again, I don't I don't cast judgment on that because I'm not we're not gonna turn around and say if you don't have cancer, do this or do bob your head. We ain't ever gonna say shit like that. So let's not let's not pick out those mother those people. See, I had to. I was about to say the word mother, but I say stop it. These are these are humans. These are all these are we are all people, okay. And I know for a fact, as a, as black people, we are going to be up in arms the minute any white or gay person is going to say anything negative about us. So for us to even, st you know, act like it's cool for us to do this, it's, to me, it's not cool. It's hypocritical. And we need to be far away from this in this 21st, in this 21st century. We are in 2021. We need to be transparent. We need to be helping each other and going you know, at least in the businesses, we all need to be coming together in some way, recognizing the differences. You might not agree with everything, but when it comes to business, when it comes to us getting these this legislation passed, when it comes to checking the corporations, the real powers that's really dividing us, that's what we need to be about. Moving on, like I said, I had an apology to make. Now I'm just who I am. I'm not nobody big just yet, but recently. You know, I have my own slip up. Of course, the Olympics is amongst us. Simone Browles was in Simone Biles was in the headlines for, you know, her decision to pull out and she came back in. She won the she won the bronze eventually. Now initially I had made my take. It was a sports take. Sports takes can be wrong. They're wrong quite frequently. Uh this one was wrong. I said the field was too tough for her. I said that's why she didn't want to do it. Little did I know that there was something deeper. You have to wait for these things to come out. So I apologize for jumping on that. I know it doesn't mean too much for who I am at this point. I'm not no Jason Whitlock. Nobody, no, you know, I don't have a grand following. But there is times where you want to, you know, make right for things that may not, you know, come off as positive I did say you know she did a lot of crying and finished third that was insensitive I posted that online and that wasn't right knowing what I know now probably wouldn't have been the best to say thing to say regardless uh, apparently she did have you know some type of anxiety I mean again this is what it was caused by and um, I do apologize for that and I will always say this though and this is a disclaimer for anybody who listens to me, uh, listens to or follows me on Instagram and, uh, you know, is a subscriber to my YouTube. When I'm going to make a when I make a claim, when I make a sports take, it's going to always be rooted in the score. It's going to be based on the sporting event or it might be based on the athlete. And that's what I attempted to do. And yes, in this case, I was wrong. And the reason why I say this and, and I clarify to you guys what it was and what I say it is, and you know, this is what I'm attempting to do here, is because it allows me, especially now when it's been clear that I'm completely wrong and I was completely out of touch to the situation, to say yes. Because at times it is more than sports. But it's not narrative either. You feel what I'm saying? Now, you had a lot of people who took this even from the get-go. Now, I looked at it 
from day one it kind of said oh man you know the competition is stiff the score I looked at the scores and you know I did look at her you know and her mistakes and say okay well it's the, the scores are pretty close she's still qualifying you know maybe maybe it's the competition right there's a lot of folks that took this and said oh she's She's not in it for her country. She's trying to be woke. She's trying. And they took it to this whole different narrative. People like Jason Woodlock. And he's known for doing this because, you know, he's pro-American. He's pro this. And he wants to be the different black guy. There's, there's a whole group of that people, those people now. I'm, we're not, we're not liberal no more. We're really conservative and we're all into these values. But mind you, you can catch Jason Woodlock at your local strip club right now throwing hundreds to the broads being a trick so you go there let's be real that's just how they live their life it's a double standard okay a lot of cases but you know him and many other black conservatives more notably took uh to twitter and they just and took to you know of course social media and they let it all hang out in all these different ways and again where i took a sports bot and said hey it's the competition and mind you i'm still wrong they said, oh, she ain't, she really ain't about her country. And I'm tired of black folks, you know, and, and I'm like, really? Again, this is the same gymnastics team that really didn't give a fuck when their trainer, Larry Nassar, was abusing everybody. What, what pride does she really have, even on a personal standard? Look, she there, she's doing her thing. This is for her family. This is for the people who helped train her on a personal level. I know that much. She's doing it for whatever she was doing it for. Maybe, you know, the relative that passed. It ain't got nothing to do with us. Particularly when we want to take it and make it about the corporation that is America. Y'all don't understand. America is a corporation. That's why I get really kind of uneasy when people start going nationalism on me. I don't do nationalism because particularly in America, this is corporate. The very first colony in Virginia that was founded, it was called, it wasn't called a colony. It wasn't a state. It was called a company. States and cities are incorporated. Fuck all that. They might as well put the United States of America copyright and put the C in the circle or TM under. It's a trademark. Ain't nothing real about it. It's just where people come and they live and they do business and they live. Should everybody, I mean, you know, this is a land of mostly immigrants and then uh, there's a there's a population of descendants of people who were, you know, transported here. So what are y'all talking about? There's people coming here daily from different countries. So all this, oh, we got to be national, we got to stand by. Look, it's a flag and it's identification. It's identification on my on my passport. That's all it is. And that's the problem with, you know, the diaspora right now. Instead of saying, oh, as a, as a group of, you know, the melanated people, don't matter where we at right now, we all know where we get our roots from. Let's all come together and support each other. And even me, again, like I said, I took a chance without knowing the full story and I made a dumb take. But at least I can say, hey, I made that. I'm not going to double down and try to compare to other athletes who love America, other black athletes who, oh, I love this country, I'm this and that. That's perfectly fine. 
But I can I can point out to you four or five different people of different races who are like, eh, it's okay. You can you can sit there and point out the black people that love this country. I can point to you five or six white people in West Virginia right now, like, mm. I mean, I like it because I can identify because identification. But again, they ain't doing really right by them. Look at how they living. Shit. America, black people have done more for themselves than the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. That's facts. This ain't hyperbole. That's simple facts. Shoot. And, you know, Simone is a decorated Olympian, a decorated athlete, and again... I apologize for taking a wrong take, not knowing what truly was going on. So, you know, I waited to even report on it just just because I kind of knew in the, in the in the universe something needed to be said and something needed to come out before I jumped on it even more. And I do apologize for what I did say, and that's why I keep I keep it out of the narrative. I keep the narratives out of it. Unless she say, unless she were to be bringing up America, unless, unless she would say, this is why I do this and all that. She was on that woke hype, which I never got from her. Um, again, we take we take this whole, again, it's more of a division. It's like, oh, I'm more conservative now. Let's buck the trend. Let's go against this. Let's be divided against the, I'm like, it's, they're playing both for y'all. Break free from both sides. That's all I ask. It's no good for none of us. We need to be in control. And not just black folk, the entire populace. They need to be more engaged in what's going on. That's why we have a democracy. They are slowly trying to take that away from you, whether it's Republican or Democrat, in different in different ways. Republicans want you to have a dictator slash tyrant. Democrats they want to have this one world government. It's still BS. We will be not in control and we'll be manipulated as we have been. It will be no different. Sorry. But um, again, it's wrong to be, it's okay to be wrong. Just admit it. And uh, don't make, don't stop putting your narrative in it. Stop, stop trying to divide yourself. Of course you have your beliefs. Everybody else does too, but your belief system is not the, the only one that counts in this world. Sorry. The way you live is the, not the only way you, you can tell somebody else to do it. And and again, you, you might not want to deal with them on a personal level, fine. But they can't be denied humanity. They can't be denied the right to exist in their own way. You leave them alone. Because people will fuck with you that's what that's what the st- moral of the story is leave people alone they leave you alone leave each other alone if you can't be positive you ain't got nothing nice to say shut up that's just the way you do it all right y'all i'm gonna take another break and we're gonna get into the sports uh we're gonna go talk some preseason football we're gonna also talk about the nba later on this weekend we are gonna get into some baseball as well but uh for now i'm gonna take a quick break and we'll be back all right y'all
All right, y'all, I'm back. Uh, we're going to wrap this up for tonight. And I wanted to get into the NBA for a little bit. A few things I wanted to go over there. First things first, Team USA gets it done. They win the gold. Four straight uh, gold in the Olympics. This time they beat France 87-82. to 82. Uh, KD would score 29 points. Uh, he would actually have 21 points in the first quarter. This is his third gold medal of his career. Jason Tatum would also help out with 19 points. And another feel-good uh, part about this is Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton are the fifth and sixth player, respectively, to win an NBA championship and Olympic gold all in the same summer. So positives all around. Uh, as for France, uh, Rudy Gobert did not have one of his best moments. He had nine fouls total in the game. Of course, this is not NBA rules, so he wasn't pulled out. Uh, Evan Fournier, he would have 16 points, uh, but he didn't really shoot as well. I think he would go 5 or 16 from the field. Uh, there was a lot that was put on this American team, of course, because in the the first uh, the first round, uh, they did lose to France kind of handedly, too. So a lot of people were, um, you know, miffed. They didn't know what to think of this team. I thought this team might be too tired. Everybody had just, you know, had a long playoff run. And, uh, again... You know, we can all be wrong. And I was wrong about this one. Uh, USA had a really good run. And they kind of showing you uh, that they are still the best, uh, at least basketball-wise, in the world. However, a lot of these teams, uh, they are starting to come up. They are starting to get more quality. And, again, they're, you know, having pro-level, well, NBA-level players as well. So that's going to start to, uh, I think, bode well for these teams going into the future, you know, non-U.S. teams. But this year, uh, the USA gets it done again. Like I said, it's fourth in a row. Uh, moving on, we are going to be talking about the draft. Of course, it was last week. We are going to go through the first and the second round, uh, each of the picks. And then we're also going to be going over pretty much some grades for some of the teams. All right, so let's get through the first round. Uh, first things first, the first pick, of course, this was no surprise, but guard Kay Cunningham out of Oklahoma State goes to the picket. Pistons, excuse me. Up next, we had guard Jalen Green. He's out of the G League Ignite League. Uh, he ends up going to the Rockets. Up next, we have center Evan Mosley. Sorry, Evan Mobley out of USC. He will go to Cleveland. Up next, we have forward Scotty Barnes out of Florida State. He will go to the Raptors. Uh, we have Jalen Suggs here at the fifth spot. He goes, coming out of Gonzaga, he goes to the Magic. We have Josh Giddy from Australia. Uh, the National Basketball League out there. He ends up going to the Thunder. The Thunder showing love to, of course, uh, you know, Australia and New Zealand in those countries. Again, they picked up Steven Adams a few years back as well. I don't think he's still on the roster, but again, I guess they love those type of players. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, up next at number seven, the Warriors pick up Jonathan Kuminga out of Kuminga out of the G League again. Uh, up next at number eight, we have a swing player here, Franz Wagner out of Michigan. He goes to the Magic. Uh, guard Davion Mitchell at number at the number nine spot out of Baylor. He goes to the Kings. At uh, the tenth spot, we have Zaire Williams, not Zaire Williamson, but he is a forward out of Stanford, and he's going to the Grizzlies. Uh, and this was uh, via a trade with the Pelicans. At the guard spot, we have James Knight out of UConn. He ends up going to the Hornets. Uh, at the 12th spot, we have guard Joshua Primo out of Alabama. He ends up going to the Spurs. At uh, number 13, we have Chris Duarte out of Oregon. He ends up going to the Pacers. 
Uh, we have Moses Mosey guard out of Arkansas. He ends up going to Golden State. At uh, number 15, we have uh, Ford Corey Kispert out of Gonzaga. He ends up going to the Wizards. We have a couple more trades here. Up next, we had a trade with uh, the Rockets in Oklahoma City. With that trade, the Rockets will end up picking center Alpern, Alperin Segun out of Turkey. Uh, with the 17th spot, again, another trade here. The Pelicans will end up trading with the Heat. And with that, uh, sorry, with that pick, the Pelicans will pick up guard Trey Murphy out of Virginia. At number 18, uh, guard Trey Mann out of Florida goes to the Thunder. At number 19, we have four Kai Jones out of Texas going to the Hornets. Again, this is via another trade, uh, this time with the Knicks. Uh, another swing man at the number 20 spot goes. Uh, this time we have Jalen Johnson out of Duke. He ends up going to Atlanta. At number 21, we have Keon Johnson out of Tennessee. He ends up going to the Clippers. And then he was then traded. Actually, that was a pick again, traded from New York. At number 22, we have Ford Isaiah Jackson out of Kentucky. Uh, again, this is a pick made by the Pacers by way of a trade uh, that time with the Lakers. At number 23, we have Usman Garuba out of Real Madrid. He ends up going to the Rockets. Up next, we have Josh uh, Christopher Guard out of Arizona State. He ends up going to the Rockets as well. At number 25, we have Guard Quentin Grimes out of Houston. He ends up going to the Knicks. Again, this is via another trade, this time with the Clippers. Uh, we have behind him Nishan Highland, guard out of VCU, Virginia Commonwealth University. He ends up going to the Nuggets. Uh, we also have Cameron Thomas, another guard here, this time out of LSU. He goes to the Nets. Another guard at the number 28 pick, Jaden Springer from Tennessee. He goes to the Sixers. At number 29, we have Dayron Sharp out of the University of North Carolina. He does end up going to the Nets to the Nets by way of a trade with Phoenix. And to wrap up the first round, we have Ford Santi Aldama out of Yoloya Marymount. He goes to the Grizzlies via a trade with the Jazz. Going to round two, uh, we have guard Isaiah Todd out of the G League. He goes to the Bucks. Behind him, we have Ford Jeremiah Robinson Earl out of Villanova. He stays back east. He's going to go to the Knicks. At number 33, we have guard Jason Preston out of Ohio. He ends up going to Orlando. At number 34, we have uh, guard Rokas Jakubaitis out of Lithuania. He goes to the Thunder. We have another swingman here at the 35 spot. Uh, Herbert Jones out of Alabama. He ends up going to the Pelicans. At number 36, we have a guard here, Miles McBride out of West Virginia. He goes to the Thunder. At number 37, we have a forward here, uh, JT Thor out of Auburn. He goes to the Pistons. Behind him, we have Ayo Dusunmu out of Illinois. He's going to stay within the state. He's going to go to the Chicago Bulls. Uh, behind, up next, we have center Nehemiah Quita. Uh, he's from Utah State by way of Portugal. He ends up going to the Kings. Uh, behind him, we have Jared Butler, a star guard out of Baylor. He going, he's going to the Pelicans. Another trade here this time. Uh, the Pelicans got that trade from the Jazz. Um, at number 41, we have guard Joe Weiskamp out of Iowa. He's going to the Spurs. We have Isaiah Livers, Ford out of Michigan, going to the Pistons. So he's staying in this state. Uh, he's going, yeah, he's staying within the state. Yep, that's a, man, I think that's a couple players, I think, out of Michigan that 
the Pistons are getting. Uh, at number 43, we have Greg uh, Greg Brown here, Ford out of Texas. Uh, he goes to the Blazers. Blazers get the one pick in the draft. They had to trade with the Thunder to get it. At number 44, we have Kessler Edwards, a Ford out of Pepperdine. He's going to the Brooklyn Nets. Behind that, we have Juhan uh, Beganin out of France. He's going to the uh, Celtics. Behind that, we have Delano Banton. Uh, he's from uh, he's coming from Nebraska out of Canada. He's going to go back home, going to the Raptors. Uh, at 47, we have David Johnson out of Louisville. He's also going to the Raptors, so back-to-back -back picks from the Raptors. 48, um, we have Sharif Cooper out of Auburn, a guard out of Auburn. He's going to the Hawks. Uh, at 49, we have guard Marcus Zakarowski out of Creighton. He's going to the Nets. At number 50, we have center Philippe Petrusev out of Serbia. He's going to be going to the Sixers. Uh, after that, we have forward B.J. Boston out of Kentucky. He's going to be going to the Grizzlies. Then behind that, we have center Luca Garza out of Iowa, one of their most uh, ex well, most decorated players in, in a long time for Iowa basketball. He's going to be continuing his, his career in Detroit as well, being picked up by the Pistons. At 53, we have Charles Basie out of Western Kentucky. He's going to the Sixers. Now, Forgive me if I don't say this last name right. I'm going to try. At number 54, out of Seton Hall, the Bucks uh, pick up via trade with, this, with the Pacers. Center Sandro Mamukalashivi. Again, I, I'm not the best at these name pronunciations. Forgive me if I'm wrong. That's the best I can do. At number uh, 55, we have guard Aaron Wiggins out of Maryland. He's going to the Thunder. At 56, we have guard Sky Lewis out of Florida. He's going to the Hornets. At number 57, we have Balsa Kaprovicia out of Florida State. He's going to the uh, to the Pistons via a trade with the Hornets. Behind him, we have forward Jericho Sims out of Texas. He's going to the Knicks. To the Knicks, excuse me. At 59, we have Ray Kwan Gray out of Florida State. He's going to be going to the Nets. And finally, the last pick of the draft at number 60, Georgios Kakatsia. Ooh, no, let me try this one more time. Georgios Kalai. Kalajazikias out of Greece. That's the best I can do. He's going to the Pacers, y'all. Anyways, let's take a look, uh, look at some of the grades for the drafts and takeaways. I'm going to start off with the Oklahoma City Thunder. They got rated a, uh, a A by NBA.com. I agree with that. Um, a couple of their highlighted picks was, of course, at number six, they got Josh Giddy out of the National Basketball League in Sorry, in Australia. Last season, he would average over 10 points, over 7 rebounds, and over 7 assists. He also led the M the NBL, excuse me, he, uh, he led the NBL, the National Basketball League, in assists. He also ranked top 5 in that league in rebounds as well. They also picked up for Jeremiah Earl Robinson at the number 32 pick. Now, uh, for Robinson Earl, he is a co-conference player of the year in the Big East. He was also a finalist for the Carl Malone Award, and that's for the best college, sorry, the best uh, power forward in college basketball. He led Villanova in scoring last season over 15 points per game, also over five assists. He ranked second in his conference in rebounding and also seventh in scoring. Uh, next, sorry, uh, next we have the Warriors here. The rich keep getting richer. Again, the Warriors have another good draft. They get an A-plus here for me as well as NBA.com. Again, Jonathan Kamiga uh, coming out of the G League. Over 15 
well, 15.8 points, points per game, 7.2 rebounds, and just over two assists in G League play. And he helped, helped lead his team to the postseason. And then you have at number 14, Moses Moody, guard out of Arkansas. He averaged 16.8 points in his long season at Arkansas, over five assists. Again, decent rebounder. And uh, he ranked fourth in the SEC in putback scoring. So offensive rebounds, he's your guy to have there. He's also fifth in off-screen scoring. He was fifth in his conference in off-screen scoring. What do the Lake? What sorry? What do the Warriors like to do? They like to shoot off screens. That's what they do. That was a solid, smart pickup. This one we have the Kings uh, up next. NBA.com gave them a C minus. I'm gonna just go ahead and give them the D just to be. Uh, real with it. Um, I do like the Nehemiah's Kuwaita uh, pickup because, again, they needed a big man. He's a solid rim protector. He also plays pretty decent offensively, although he doesn't actually, yeah, he's, he's not the shooter um, that you see in a lot of these guys in the league right now. Same thing with Luka Garza, but I'm going to get to him in just a second. But their main pickup was Davian Mitchell at the number nine spot, and it pretty much made no sense with De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton already on the team. You also had a trade with Buddy Hill that didn't go through, so now you got four guards. You don't need four guards. Uh, like I said, um, at the number 39 spot, Nehemiah Esqueda out of Utah State. He was an All-America honorable mention last season. He was one of four finalists for the Neesman. Uh, Neve Smith's Defensive Player of the Year award. Uh, he was also he had a school record for blocks uh, in his career with 219. He also had a school record nine blocks in one game. And Coetta is the only player in his conference to average a double double. He had 14 points, almost 15 points last season. In the game he also averaged 10 rebounds and he had 16 double doubles last season. That was tied for third in the country. Up next, we have the Bucks. They were given a C. I tend to agree with that. Their big highlight, of course, was just the one pick. I can't say his last name like that. Sandro Mamuka, Mamuk, Mamukela Shavili. That's the best I can do. Again, he's a cold Big East player of the year along with Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Averaging over 17 points a game, over seven rebounds, also three assists. Now he's a six six foot eleven, 240 pounds with a seven foot wingspan. Again, he rebounds very well. That's going to be what the Bucks are going to need. Again, not somebody that can spread out the floor, but again, somebody who can get rebounds and set up maybe Giannis again in the paint. Who knows? All right. Aside from all the trade stuff. Of course, the big the big thing I really wanted to talk about was Russell Westbrook making his way to L.A. Now, the multiple-time All-Star was traded to the Lakers last week for Kyle Kuzma, Contavious Caldwell, Pope, and Montrez Harrell, and a first-round draft pick. Uh, well, that came in last week's draft. That ended up being number 22, Isaiah Jackson. I believe one more pick in next year's draft going to... Uh, the Wizards. Now, Westbrook did average 22 points a game last year, over 11 rebounds, and also 11, uh, sorry, yes, 11 assists uh, with the Wizards. This is the fourth, uh, fourth time he averaged a triple-double in his career, and he has the most triple-doubles of all time with 184. He's surpassed, he has since surpassed Hall of Famer Oscar Robinson in this time, who just has 181. Still a lot, though. Westbrook is a nine-time All-Star and a nine-time All-Pro selection. Now, I I know a lot of people are very positive about this. Uh, I know a lot of Laker fans are gonna say this is a super team. You got some fans saying it. I mean, some 
non-Laker fans even saying it's a super team and it's not fair or something like that. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I I never. I mean, I think the team should be solid. I don't see the team not making it to the playoffs. I don't see this team as a favorite to win a championship. I think they have enough offense. I don't know who's going to be coming off that bench. Uh, they want to rely on a couple older guys like our, our like Carmelo. Um, I don't know how far he can get you even coming off the bench going into where he's at right now. I honestly think if he was going to play, maybe play one more year in Portland if you're going to do it. I don't know. Um, but I'm not necessarily... You know, against it, I'm not really for it. I don't see where it makes the Lakers a championship team. I don't necessarily see where it makes them trash either. So, um, not too much to say either or about this. I mean, the Lakers made a move. This was the best that they could do given their situation. Uh, of course, they'll have to be paying, you know, Westbrook, LeBron, and AD for, you know, however long they got them together. They'll have to be able to work that out. So, you know, again, I think this is a solid move given what the Lakers had and what they needed to do. I don't know who's going to be coming off that bench, and that's going to be just as important, especially deeper in these guys' careers, at least Westbrook, who's over 30, and, of course, LeBron, who's well over, who's really over 30 as well. Um, you know, who's going to, you know, take those, those, so some of those minutes away from them and allow them to kind of rest, especially when we get deeper and deeper into these playoffs runs. Because, again, for LeBron, he's just going to be going deep and deep in the playoffs, and we know that. And the question is how much does he really have in the tank on both sides of the ball? We've seen that he doesn't have it all defensively, uh, but, you know, how much how much more of a load offensively can he, can he take as well? So we have to look at that. And, uh, you know, hopefully the Lakers get some guys that can come off the bench and really take away some of those some of those extra minutes from those guys. All right. We're going to move on to the NFL and officially wrap things up for tonight. Now, one of the biggest headlines going into training camp in this new season was well, particularly training camp was what's going to be the deal with Aaron Rodgers. Now, of course. Uh, it is agreed between him and, you know, Green Bay that he will be there at least one more season. And uh, but before then, he had to let it, you know, his grievances be, you know, aired out. And uh, he decided to do this, you know, for all the media to see and kind of tell it, you know, voice his frustrations with the Packers organization. I, you know, I understand where he's coming from, but I also don't know how far players are expecting to go in terms of the decisions that they want to make with you know, their employers as well. So I, I understand both sides of the story. Uh, but for Aaron Rodgers, I think he's been around long enough to at least he can, I mean, I, I, I think for, you know, a GM, you know, and these front office guys who probably never played football, some of them, I think it would behoove them to really listen to the coaches or the players. You know, I think uh, Bill Parcells, you know, kind of had a quote that I liked in the Forgive me, I am paraphrasing a little bit, but, you know, they they let you cook pretty much, but you th you think that, you know, being that you're cooking, they at least, you know, allow you to go and buy the groceries. Now, you know, for somebody like Bill Parcells, when he was a coach, you know, that would have meant being able to, you know, recruit or scout some of these players or actually, you know, get these players, you know, to the point where, you know, the, the team is giving these, these guys a contract. 
because the coach is the one making these uh, play calls. The coach is the one making the game plans. So I think the roster should fit 100% what the coach and the players around him uh, and their skill set requires. Uh, to kind of go about this any other way, I think is it's going to lead you to some type of disaster. I think you should at least ask your your, your top quarterback uh, what works for him. You should ask the coach, well, what works for Aaron? What do you see that works for Aaron? Can you ask him what works for him? And you can find ways to do that. Um, you know, he's very uh, at odds with the team right now. And it, like I said, his input. And so there is that caveat now where recently uh, Green Bay has said, hey, if you do want to get traded, we'll oblige you next season. And this is on top of the fact that their top receiver, Devontae Adams, has not resigned. He's very mad. And, you know, contract discussions have supposedly ended with him as well. So, you know, it's not a good look for Green Bay right now. Uh, but at the same time, they kind of put themselves in this predicament. They did not, you know, prepare around their star quarterback, their MVP, the guy that was going to potentially or could potentially get them to the Super Bowl. And that made no sense. They figured they'd go to the future right away or cause some type of division or whatever. Whatever they thought had happened with, you know, Aaron Rodgers and, and Brett Favre, it looks like it fell all apart. So, you know, that's that's the skinny on what's going on in Green Bay. Of course, Aaron Rodgers is going to be there for now. Uh, but, you know, it doesn't, it, hey, all bad. Uh, moving on, we do have a couple injuries to talk about, of course. Uh, first things first, Carson Wentz. He's going to be out for at least 12 weeks max, uh, dealing with a, I believe it's in his foot. And this just goes along with a long line of injuries that he's been suffering. I don't know what to tell the Colts right now. Uh, I think they had Jacob East in there. Uh, that's a second-year QB. They also had Sam Ellinger as the backup. I'm pr- I think they brought in somebody else between then. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my name, who, off the top of my head, who it was, uh, but they're in, they're in tough straits right now. Uh, I don't know what to tell the Colts right now, uh, other than you know, hopefully Wentz can come back soon, and I, I hopefully he can give you guys a full season. Uh, this is kind of karma. I think they should have kept Jacoby Brissett around. I didn't think they needed Carson Wentz, but again, I mean they. They tend to do these black quarterbacks kind of dirty. They they keep them around for a little bit, and they then they think that they got somebody that they like. They try to you know push them aside for this new this new quarterback that they bringing in, and it never works. It never works. And uh, you know, I don't, not that I wish injury on Carson Wentz, but you know, I I, I kind of feel like that should have been Jacoby Brissett's job. That's just uh, that's just how I feel couple things to go over real quick. Uh, we do have uh, some oh, a re-signing to talk about. Josh Allen, he signs uh, his, well, he re-signs with the Bills. Uh, they agree, agree to a six-year extension worth $253 million with $150 million guaranteed. Uh, Allen was the number seven pick in the 2018 draft, and over his career, he's passed for over 4,544 yards, 37 touchdowns, and 10 interceptions. He's also he also led the Bills to a 10 and 13 record this season, and well, last season, and a uh, conference championship appearance. He's also led them to the playoffs for the first time in a very long, I will almost want to say 20 years as well, too. So, uh, good luck on him. That's a little bit of tidbit. Oh, a little tidbit there. 
And there's some drama going on with the Giants, too. Now, last week, there was a big-ass fight that they had. And Daniel Jones, he happened, the quarterback, he happened to get into it, too. He ends up being on the po- the bottom of the pile. Uh, offense versus defense, uh, little encounter that happens. Uh, we have Aaron Donald. I'm just now hearing about Aaron Donald going bad on the scrimmage uh, this I believe today as well. It's something in the air. Trust me, it's nothing new. I see, I've seen this happen too at training camps and scrimmages sometimes. You know, that testosterone gets in the air and you're going against a different team and you've been tired of hitting your partners and your homeboys the whole summer and it unleashes and things that this uh, happen. Also happens against your teammates as with the Giants. Now, like I said, uh, there was a big-ass fight, and they ended up, you know, canceling practice with the coach, Joe Judge, and making people run. All types of drills. Uh, well, not drills, but just run. Run, run, run. I think up-downs, all type of stuff. Uh, just ridiculous stuff. They ended up canceling practice. And at least since then, there's been three separate players to retire. I don't know if this all has to do with the drama, but again, I think it's just kind of weird how just after all this, you know, you had this you know, big ass event. The media knows they've been talking about it. Now you got these people walking away. Well, like I said, a third uh, giant has decided to retire. This time, veteran offensive lineman Zach Fulton. He has started over 44 games over the past three seasons with the Giants. And uh, like I said, uh, the retirements include another offensive lineman, Joe Looney, and also linebacker Todd Davis. Like I said, so. I'm not saying it has to do all with this drama. Um, I think coming from Joe Judge, I think one of the things with, um, this is from the head coach, uh, one of the things with Fulton was the fact that he wanted to be a starter this year. And he came into training camp with that expectation. There was another injury in camp. And instead of being that guy, he was kind of looked over again. He didn't like that. And so I guess at this point, he's looking to just walk away, maybe come at this again. Uh, Todd Davis, he was an older player, course code. This is a course course code, according, excuse me, according to the head coach, Joe, uh, Joe Judge. And near the end of that process, and he wasn't too sure where he wanted to stand this year in terms of playing or not. So I think he decided to take the choice to cut. So, but again, it's just the timing. So it makes it look like it kind of was like, oh, man, you know, it's kind of falling apart. But I think uh, it'll be a very interesting season for the Giants, to say the least, because they do play for what is worth despite all this drama to you know last week they do play in a winnable division all right y'all before we let y'all go before i let y'all go uh let's get through the couple more things uh we have the hall of fame game that we had last uh well thursday and we're gonna get through the hall of fame inductees as well so let's talk about the hall of fame game of course first preseason game of the year uh, this is, you know, pretty much a big thing. Hey, nothing wrong with that. Uh, even though it's just preseason. But in this encounter, the Steelers get the best of the Cowboys, 16-3. to For the Cowboys offensively, we got some action from uh, Garrett Gilbert. He will go 9-13 with 184 passing yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. We also got to take a look at Ben DiNucci, who went 7-17 for 89 passing yards. He would have 34 yards on the ground, but he would throw a pick. The leading rusher for the Cowboys in that game was Rico Dottle at the, at the running back spot with 43 total yards on the ground. Wide receiver Malik Turner would be the team's leading receiver with four catches and 47 yards. And defensively, defensive, sorry, and defensively, cornerback Nashawn Wright would get five total tackles. And rookie linebacker Micah Parsons would make his debut. 
getting a few tackles to go along uh, with you know with all that. Uh, for the Steelers on offense, they were led by Dwayne Haskins. He would go eight of thirteen for just fifty-four yards, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions. Uh, we had Mason Rudolph getting some action as well. They are definitely looking for Ben Roethlisberger's replacement. Rudolph will go six and nine for eighty-four yards, but Josh Dobbs would score would would pass. Uh, for the team's only touchdown, he would go four six through the air as well. The leading rusher for the Steelers on Thursday was Kalen Balaj. He would have 19 total rushing yards and a touchdown. The leading receiver was Chase Claypool. The route receiver had three catches and 62 yards, and wide receiver Tyler Simmons would have a receiving touchdown. On defense, the Steelers were led by linebacker Miles Killebrew. He would have six total tackles, and linebacker Cassius Martz. And also, Alex Highsmith would both have sacks. Cassius Marsh would have Cassius Marsh would have four uh, four total tackles to go along with his totals. Uh, speaking of which, of course, this is the Hall of Fame game. This is in commemoration of the newest Hall of Fame class. Who were this year's inductees? We're gonna talk about it for a little bit. First things first, with no real introduction needed, we got quarterback Peyton Manning who spent most of his career with the Colts, but would cap off his uh, illustrious playing career with the Broncos. He's a two-time Super Bowl champ. He's also a Super Bowl MVP, five-time league MVP, two-time Offensive Player of the Year. He's a seven-time first-team All-Pro and a 13-time Pro Baller. He's a 2000s All-Decade team member, and he's also a member of the NFL 100th Anniversary All-Time Team. He's a two-time uh, completion percentage leader, four-time and four times he led the league in touchdowns. He also led the league in passing yards three times. He has the most touchdowns in the season with 55. And over his career, he has over 71,000 yards. And he has over almost 540 touchdowns, 539 to be exact. Moving on, we have wide receiver Calvin Johnson, uh, formerly of the Detroit Lions. He's a third, sorry, a three-time all, sorry, three-time first-team All-Pro and a six-time Pro Baller. He's a two-time receiving yards leader. He's also a club leader in touchdowns in 2008, where he had 12. Uh, he's also a NFL. He's also the NFL uh, receiving. Sorry, he also led the league in receptions as well. He also had the most receiving yards in the season with 19,964, and he had eight plus. Uh, he has eight plus hundred yard or more games, and that is a. NFL record as well. He's a member of the All-Decade team for the 2010s, and he has a career stat line of 630, 631 receptions, 1160, sorry, 11,619 yards, and 83 touchdowns. Following that, you have Charles Woodson, who played, uh, who spent his career with the Raiders and the Packers. He's a Super Bowl champion as well. He's a Defensive Player of the Year in 2009. He's also the Defensive Player, sorry, Defensive Rookie of the Year back in 1998. He's a four-time first-team All-Pro, four-time second-team All-Pro, a nine-time Pro Baller, and he's a NFL All-Decade Team member of the ninth, sorry, of the 2000s. Uh, for two years, well, two different seasons, he led the league in interceptions and he has a career stat line of 1,105 tackles, 20 sacks. He also had 65 interceptions, 33 forced fumbles. He also had 155 pass deflections and 13 defensive touchdowns. Up next, we have John Lynch, another member of the defensive secondary 
He spent his career with the Buccaneers, also the Broncos. He's a Super Bowl champ back in 2003, beating my Raiders up. Uh, he is a two-time first-team All-Pro, two-time second-team All-Pro. He's a nine-time Pro Bowler. He had one th over 1,000 tackles in his career, 13 sacks, 26 interceptions. He also had 16 forced fumbles. He's actually currently the g general manager of the San Francisco 49ers as well. Also, we have Alan Fanica, an offensive guard who played for the Steelers, the Jets, and the Cardinals. He's a Super Bowl champion with the Steelers, six-time All-Team, six-time First-Team All-Pro, uh, two-time Second-Team All-Pro. Also been to the Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl nine times. Pittsburgh. He's a he's a member of the Pittsburgh Steelers All-Time Team, All-Decade Team of the of the 2000s. And he also played and started in over 200 games. He's a first-round draft pick out of USU in 1998. And finally, uh, we have oh sorry, two more sorry. Uh, we have wide receiver Drew Pearson of the Dallas Cowboys, also a Super Bowl champion, three-time first-team All-Pro, three-time All-Star going to the Pro Bowl. He's a member of the All-Decade team for the 1970s. He's also the receiving yards leader in 1977. He had 489 receptions throughout his career with 7,822 yards and 48 touchdowns. Unfortunately, his career was cut just a little bit short by a uh, accident. I've actually left one of his relatives dead, unfortunately. Uh, but Drew Pearson making it to the Hall of Fame, yet another Dallas Cowboy to do so. And finally, we have a coach here, actually a player and a coach. We have uh, Tom Flores, who coached for the Raiders. He also played for the Raiders as well. Uh, also a few different AFL teams. He also ended up coaching for the Raiders and the Seahawks as well. As a player, he was the first uh, he was the first starting Latino quarterback in the NFL, and he was also an AFL All-Star in 1966. He is fifth in passing yards in the AFL. As a coach, he will win three Super Bowls, one as an assistant under John Madden, of course, for the Raiders, and two as a head coach during the 80s, uh, coach for the Raiders. He has a career record of 105 wins and 90 losses, including a 8-3 record in the playoffs. The 1980 team was the, the 1980 the 1980 Raiders was the first team to win a Super Bowl after having to go through the wild card round. He is also the first minority head coach to win a Super Bowl. He was also the AFC sorry the AFC Coach of the Year in 1983. All right, y'all, whole bunch of stuff going down, and the weekend ain't over yet. Tomorrow night I plan to come back. If not tomorrow night, tomorrow morning. Mr. Well, sorry, Monday morning. Just kind of recap everything else. Uh, we have to go over some some news in, in the MLB, of course. Trade trade deadline news. Also, I want to get through the standings. We are getting you know to the second half of the season. We want to get through those. Uh, get through some stats as well. And uh, whatever news comes up, we're gonna get through it. And uh, of course, I'm gonna be leaving my links for you guys. Please follow me on Instagram. You can follow me on Facebook as well. Please be sure if you haven't yet. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel and check out those videos as well. All right, y'all. If anybody hasn't told you yet, I love you. Peace out. One love. And I'll holla at all you guys later.